The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. The latest trends and hottest topics, love and sex, handled honestly and with passion. Here's Dr. Lori, CJAD 800. Sitting in tonight is Paris Mansouri. Welcome to the program. This is Passion. It's a show all about love, sex, and relationships. My name is Paris. I'm sitting in for Dr. Lori. She's on vacation for the next two weeks. I've been here all week long. It's been a pleasure. I hope you've been enjoying it. We've kept the panels and the guests as you are used to. And tonight is another monthly feature here on Passion. We talk about sexuality and addiction with Sandra Lax. She's a sex addiction specialist. You can connect with her at sandralax.com. So tonight is really a night to basically understand ourselves better, understand our addictions better, and understand our partners better as well. There's a couple topics I definitely wanted to cover, and one is some research I came across. It says Tinder is fueling the rise in female sex addiction. Um, I want to look at the signs of having a problem. I also want to take the perspective of the partner of a sex addict, um, what they're in danger of experiencing. I also want to talk about how much has changed over the years in terms of the people uh, who are willing to admit that they have a sexual addiction. There's also a lot of stigma attached generally to having any psychological issues at all. So um, where does the, you know, sexual psychological issues fall, you know, in the gamut of of mental health? So Sandra Lax is going to join me and she's got a heavy task tonight because Dr. Lori's not here. Sandra, welcome to the program. Oh, I'm so excited to speak with you, Paris. Thank you. I know usually you have your colleague here to jump off of. And as I like to begin every show when I'm replacing her, uh, I'm not a doctor and I'm not an expert in this field. So whenever she's away, we bring in the experts to help carry the show along. So I'm very much looking forward to tapping into your expertise. Oh, it's an honor to be here with everyone. Yeah, and I forgot to mention at the tail end of uh, the show, or not at the tail end, in the second half of the program, I want to talk about a blog post Sandra has up on her um, website, sandralax.com, and it basically talks about sexual trauma and a lot of uh, the issues that have come up since the Me Too movement has started. So there's a lot to cover, Sandra. First, I wanted to talk about um, the Tinder. uh, It's not the Tinder report. It's basically research that was done at the University of Minnesota, it quizzed 2,300 adults aged 18 to 50 on their sex lives. And they found that one in 10 men and one in 14 women suffer distress because they cannot control their sexual feelings, urges, and behaviors. And some of this is linked to Tinder. And they're saying that Tinder is fueling the rise in female sex addicts. And basically, it's they're saying that because we are a more permissive society, that there's no longer this worry about a feeling of judgment for acting on our desires. In your experience and, and throughout your career, have you seen this transition, the rise of dating apps? Has it increased um, sexual addiction problems? Without question. I, you know, that's what I see. And that's the work that I do with people who are coming in to look to heal uh, ways that they choose to numb. And, and particularly the population I work with, that, you know, sex addiction is the, their, um, 
sort of defense around some of what we talk about in terms of the sex addiction field, which is a lean away from intimacy. So with the rise of dating apps and, you know, particularly even the internet when it, you know, when it first came onto the scene, is people are are less and less connected to one another. And so when we think about what's really at the heart of relationships, there's a lot of intimacy, you know, that that is required to be present to a, a relationship. And let me break that down is, you know, intimacy is really about vulnerability. It's about connection. It's about allowing ourselves to be seen and really seeing another person. And with the rise of, you know, um, these social media and dating apps, we can hide more and more those parts of ourselves that we don't want to share with others because we're afraid either of rejection or afraid of sort of being with our own imperfections. And so it's much easier to lean into, you know, using sex as a way to avoid actually connection. And for individuals who are maybe not interested in in making a connection, they are just interested in having a good time. Is there a worry that they're going to fall into a trap of being habitually inclined to not share themselves and not being intimate? Absolutely. You know, I think we practice what we're used to. So if we if we really lean away and I, you know, I, I argue I would argue that, you know, as human beings, we're wired for connection. And so if someone is really just looking for sex, I would ask, you know, what is it that they're missing in their lives that they feel that that is where they need to get their sort of hit or fix um, away from actual like real bonding? Um, And so, you know, I think what you said before was actually really accurate is we've made, you know, hookup culture and, you know, Tinder it's, you know, it's really so much less stigmatized as it would have been probably a decade ago. Um, and so, you know, in that, we also are giving people permission and giving ourselves permission to lean away from real intimacy and connection. That's really, you know, part of a, a really fulfilling life. And so there was a study that was done, I think, recently, and I, I forget what source it was. It could have been Harvard. It might have been another university um, that talked about, you know, people who are looking to live their most fulfilling life and have longevity and, you know, exercise and eating right was absolutely down this uh, lower in the list and having real supportive connections was number one on the list. So, you know, that the people who would say, you know, I'm just interested in sex, I don't want a relationship, I, I would argue then, you know, what is it? What is it that you're leaning away from? We're speaking with Sandra Lax. She is an expert on addiction and sexuality. She's on every month with Dr. Lori. And tonight is the special occasion that I get to share the airwaves with her. We're talking right now about a study uh, at the University of Minnesota that says that Tinder and other dating apps have fueled the rise uh, in female sex addicts. And um, the research has found that one in 10 men and one in 14 women suffer from distress because they can't control their sexual feelings, urges and behaviors. We're going to keep talking to Sandra about this. I'm going to ask her about the signs of this because seeing that dating apps you know, have haven't been longer around longer than you know ten years. Whether you were start you started off online about ten years ago or fifteen years ago, or you're using apps now, you may not recognize the behaviors that are putting you on the verge of sexual addiction. So basically, the signs to watch out for, and also what to be wary of when it comes to your partner, perhaps being a sex 
addict. If at any point you want to join the conversation, you are more than welcome to text in your questions at 514-800. You are also able to call us 514-790-0800. You're listening to Passion. We're on every weeknight from 10 to 11 p.m. talking love, sex, and relationships. Your relationships on the line. Connect with Dr. Lori now. 514-790-0800. Passion. News Talk Radio. CJAD 800. Sitting in tonight is Paris Mansouri. Welcome back to the program. Tonight we are speaking with Sandra Lax. She is our expert on addiction and sexuality. You can connect with her at sandralax.com. We've been talking about a report from the University of Minnesota that quizzed 2,300 adults aged 18 to 50 on their sex lives. And it found that 1 in 10 men and 1 in 14 women suffer from distress because they can't control their sexual feelings. And um, before we get into that, because I wanted to talk about what are some of the signs Signs that people can can recognize. I have an interesting question that kind of relates. Um, there's a texter who wants to know if teenagers are becoming sex addicted as well. And, you know, what about music videos? Are they having an adverse effect on children's ability to understand healthy sexual relationships? It's a, it's a great question. So I'll say that, you know, watching music videos, viewing pornography, um, spending time online does not make someone a sex addict. And I'll break down, you know, what, what, you know, what does make someone a sex addict. Although if someone is prone to addiction or has a genetic history, there's, there's, you know, or an extensive trauma history, there, there are signs and symptoms to look out for. So, you know, I go back to what I was saying before the break that if we prime ourselves with connecting virtually as our primary way of, of, you know, bonding with another person, um, or we're using these um, platforms really extensively, then we start to lose the capacity for real connection, to have conversations like you and I are doing right now, Paris. And so, you know, the things to really look out for um, is, well, let me actually say before I do that is, you know, sex addiction is it's it's very similar to other to other addictions, whether it's substance based or process based. So whether it's alcohol or whether it's gambling or food, um, people are using sex as a way to numb out from their lives. So and you know a really avoid things. So very similar to ways that other people use addiction. I think it's really the most misunderstood addiction that's out there because it it spans a lot of different behaviors. So when someone is really struggling with addiction, um, what what's happening in particular sex addiction is there's a preoccupation with um, leaning into these really dysfunctional behaviors. So, you know, it, just like any other addiction, it's not necessarily about the use, it's about the consequences. So is someone thinking about sex all the time? Are they thinking about the next time that they're going to get sort of their hit or numb out? Um, we look at, you know, the feelings that are based in this addiction. So, you know, is the person exhibiting a lot of distress? Are they, um, you know, struggling with depression, anxiety when they aren't able to access their way of numbing out, which in this, in this particular addiction is, is through sex and, um, and, uh, you know, have they attempted to really stop their behavior? So have they sought therapy before? Have they said, you know, I'm not going to go online tonight? And then they find themselves online and really losing time around it. 
Um, are there consequences to other people? So have they injured their relationships as a result of this? You know, and, and, you know, one of the most prevalent types of sex addiction is compulsive pornography. And so, you know, in what ways are you impacting the people around you when you're losing time and prioritizing viewing pornography around really supporting your loved ones, connecting with them and being really present with them? Um, so those are just the, some of the preliminary signs that we, you know, that we see um, it, when someone's struggling with a sex addiction. We're speaking with Sandra Lax. She specializes in addiction and sexuality. You can connect with her at sandralax.com. We've been talking about uh, Tinder fueling the rise of female sex addicts and just the rise of sex addiction in general with, you know, a culture that is on dating apps and maybe a little more promiscuous than they were before. Uh, Sandra, I, you know, in preparing for the show tonight, I came across a term I hadn't heard before. I hadn't heard Dr. Lori use it. And I don't know, you know, if this is just, you know, one uh, expert using this term, but they were saying that some people who suffer from sex addiction fall into the category of sexual anorexia. And they're saying that um, in the book called Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, it says as an eating disorder, anorexia is defined as the compulsive avoidance of food. In the area of sex and love, anorexia has a similar definition. Anorexia is the compulsive avoidance of giving and receiving social, sexual, or emotional nourishment. Would you say yeah, that that's accurate? Absolutely. I see that, you know, quite often, especially in my work with um, when I'm working with partners or spouses who've been betrayed in, you know, in their relationship when they when they're married to or in partnership with a, with someone who's struggling with sex addiction. Sexual anorexia is something that, you know, that a loved one may experience. Also, you know, as a consequence from being betrayed, also a person who, who is suffering from sex addiction, it follows that similar pattern to an eating disorder. So there could be periods of, you know, extensively acting out, much like a binge with eating disorder. And then there's periods of complete avoidance or complete lack of interest. Um, which, you know, falls into that sexual anorexia phase. And that can come from a lot of different um, a lot of different areas. So one is, you know, is that uh, they've overwhelmed themselves with the sexual behavior and they, they're saying, you know, I don't want anything to do with it, with it. I need to cut it out of my life completely. Um, or they're responding to some sort of trauma that they may have experienced, right? So, you know, this happens a lot with trauma survivors. If, you know, if they've been victimized themselves, it's, you know, I, I, the safe place for me is to avoid sex altogether. Um, and this is also can happen, you know, not necessarily in addiction-based disorders, but, you know, due to biological factors. So I know, you know, people who experience pain with intercourse um, can often say, you know what, I'm just not interested in sex and avoid it altogether and fall into that sexual anorexia diagnosis. You know, what you just mentioned about the partner is so important, especially if you're in a, you know, whether you're in a long-term relationship and you're recognizing these signs or you are just starting out a relationship and you're not sure what the signs are, I think what partners of sex addicts are experiencing is extremely important. What are they in danger of experiencing if they're not aware of the signs, if they if they don't know that their partner is a sex addict or they don't know what to call um, their 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 desires or their compulsions? How can how is it viewed on the partner's perspective? Yeah, so I, uh, you know, partners are 
um, a population that I serve almost exclusively now. Um, it's a really underserved community. Um, you know, the old way of treating sex addiction was to treat the person suffering from the addiction and then the partners and spouses will be okay. And that absolutely, you know, we've learned a lot in this field that actually in terms of treatment for partners and, and spouses is we treat them as trauma survivors because that's what they really are. Their whole world has just been destroyed, right? So, you know, they're they're often starting from absolute studs of, you know, if you think about the house, the foundation has been destroyed, the, the, the floors are demolished, and you're starting from a place of what what was my reality and what is what do I need going forward? So it's absolutely devastating. And some of the signs and symptoms, you know, if if you are someone who um senses someone something in your gut that something's really off. Um, I encourage you to really trust that because I have to say that that me- there, there are many thousands of partners who show up in my office and they had no idea that this was going on and and absolutely that happens. I have other spouses and partners who show up in my office and say I knew something was wrong but I didn't know what it was. So, you know, something to look out for is uh, first and foremost a term that we use to describe uh, extreme manipulation. So. There's actually a word for it. It's called gaslighting. And so if you are bringing up concerns and questions and it feels like you can't let it go, um, you think that something is going on, but you can't name it, you know, that's, that's a, that's a sign to you that there's some unanswered, there could be some unanswered truth. And so, um, gaslighting is a term that was created a whole, uh, a while back based on a film where, uh, this robber really essentially got into a woman's house and would turn off the gas lights in order to rob her and, and take her jewelry. And then she'd say the lights went out and he would say, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And so, you know, one of the most devastating things is learning that your partner or spouse has been acting out and uh, involved with someone else um, or, and uh, excuse me, and, uh, or um, that you have been, um, the breakdown of trust has been so profound that your whole foundation has been shaken and often the two go hand in hand in, in, you know, when there's a discovery of a sex addiction. And when you are being gaslighted, it's an extremely difficult situation in the sense that it is extremely manipulative. I imagine like from the description that you just gave, how do you open a conversation with a partner who's extremely defensive and who's maybe also not aware of, of, you know, what they're going through, or maybe they are aware and, and they just don't want to address it. How can the individual in that partnership properly react and get themselves away from the dangers, whether it's emotional, psychological, or physical? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the first thing that I recommend that you do, if you're struggling with, you have this inner sense that something's off, that there's some truth that's being kept from you is you know, if you confront the person that you're struggling with and they deny it and you still have that sense in your gut, I would speak, I would seek out a professional and let them know what's happening. Um, because I really believe that we need to trust those feelings that we have when something's off. I mean, that gut sense is the same thing that says to us when we're in a dark parking lot, like there's something wrong here, get, get to your car quickly. Right. So we, we really need to pay attention to that. Um, and so I think reaching out to a therapist and checking your reality and getting a sense of what's going on. I can, you know, I can, I can't tell you how many times that's happened where, uh, you know, a spouse has come to my office and said, 
I don't know what's going on, but I know something is going on. And they've checked sort of the behavior, and, and we, we can uncover whether it's likely a sex addiction or something else. You're listening to Passion. We are on every weeknight from 10 to 11 p.m. We talk love, sex, and relationships. Tonight, we are talking about addiction and sexuality with sex addiction therapist Sandra Lax. You can connect with her at sandralax.com. To send us your questions, you can text us at 514-800, and it's 514-790-0800 to join us by phone. In case my voice isn't familiar to you, by the way, my name is Paris. I'm filling in for Dr. Lori. She's away for two weeks. She's on vacation. She's going to be back. Um, I'm not sure on the date, but I'll be here all of next week. So whatever the following Monday is, that's when she'll be back. Uh, she'll be back from China. So you can leave her her text. As, as always, if you text message her at 514-800, it'll pop up and it'll stay. I won't delete it. I'll make sure that she sees it. From the pleasure to the pain and everything in between. Passion with Dr. Lori. News Talk Radio, CJAD 800. Sitting in tonight is Paris Mansouri. Welcome back to the program. Tonight is a monthly feature that we have here on Passion. We talk about addiction and sexuality with sex addiction therapist Sandra Lax. Sandra, thank you for being here. It's so good to be here, Paris. Sandra, other than sandralax.com, do you have any social media handles anyone can check you out on and connect with you on? Yeah, I can be found at sandralax on Facebook and on Instagram. It's my therapist, Sandra. Wonderful. So we've been talking about sexual addiction. We it started off the conversation started by us talking about new research that talks about um, Tinder and other dating apps that are fueling the rise in female sex addicts and just the rise in sexual addiction in general. We have another text question here. Uh, it says, "Isn't anorexia su- uh, subjective, suggestive of a mental disorder? Does abstaining from sex, for whatever reason, necessarily entail an anorexic-based reaction or neurosis disorder?" I think this person caught the tail end of our conversation because if I just read that again, I hope you're listening. Whoever texted that, um, it says that sexual anorexia is defined uh, as basically in the area of sex and love. It has a similar definition as when you're avoiding food. It means anorexia is a compulsive avoidance of giving and receiving social, sexual, or emotional nourishment. It's not abstaining from sex. It's abstaining from the emotions that are involved in sexual behavior. Is that correct? And, and I'll add, no, it, it, you know, in addition to that, it is. it can include abstaining from sex. So, um, and to clarify, it, it is a mental health disorder, right? Similar to anorexia nervosa, which we see, you know, categorized also as a mental health issue um, for people struggling with food and their bodies. Um, it, it really follows the same principles as that. It's really restricting yourself from a, a behavior that is quite nourishing if, if it's done in a healthy way. So similar to the way that someone would, you know, really restrict themselves from food and nutrients that they need to nourish their bodies. So in terms of, you know, discussing sexual addiction, how much has changed in, in, you know, as to how willing people are to talk about it? Yeah. Oh, wow. It has changed so much. So, 
the way the term sex addiction was formed was from a man named Patrick Carnes, who um, who suffered from this disorder. It, it's got to be, you know, maybe 50 years ago now. And he was trying to get help for it and couldn't find it, you know, because there was really no one serving this population and no one really identifying um, as sex addicts. So he coined the term and then started a group for people that he could connect with that struggled with with sex. And, you know, I think it's really one of the most misunderstood addictions. Um, and the reason that people don't come forward with it, although they have absolutely much more in the last, I would say, you know, five to 10 years is because there's so much shame and stigma. You know, shame is a real hallmark of this addiction, um, as it is for many addictions, but particularly sex addiction, because when people come forward, you know, sharing that, you know, they're either, you know, compulsively viewing pornography, engaging in high risk sex with, you know, multiple partners without protection, uh, hiring escorts and, or, and prostitutes and not being able to, you know, stop or compulsive affairs, um, they they're they've really sort of lost control around their sexuality and it can really lead to you know very severe consequences um and you know when they come forward there can be so much misconception around the addiction particularly of being labeled you know a pervert or a pedophile which really doesn't have much to do with the addiction at all it's very similar to other based addictions where you're using a behavior like sex to numb out or get high from difficult areas of your life what do you notice has changed is it a more varied age range is there are there more women what what is changing i mean you we were talking earlier about you know the prevalence of dating apps maybe increasing people um, developing sexual addictions but have you seen like what changes have you seen over the years so uh, there I think there's you know two-part question the first is that sex addiction really um, came into the forefront with the internet coming into play and and, you know, if you think about the times where you and I were growing up, Paris, when people, you know, were struggling with sex addiction, they were buying magazines at a, well, I don't know, I'm a, I, I might be older, but in my generation, they were buying magazines from, you know, from uh, convenience stores that were on the top rack, or they'd have to go to a specialty uh, sex shop to find videos and things like that. Now they can go, you know, online in like under five seconds. And there's there's an element to it that's really anonymous. It's really accessible, right? And so they can do it. You know, people can can find these uh, ways to disconnect really quickly and with a lot of anonymity. So I think that you know really has led to the rise of people being exposed and protection, you know, and uh, preoccupied with sex as as a way to numb out. Um, and the second part is, you know, what's changed over the years in terms of people seeking support is awareness, you know. So we're far from where we want to be in terms of sex addiction therapists and, and people feeling more comfortable to come forward. Um, and, you know, just like when, you know, the, the, you know, Bill W. had these quiet alcohol anonymous meetings and, and people would go, but they wouldn't tell people where they were going. Now people are, you know, it's much more common to say, oh, I'm going to a meeting. And I think, you know, when we start talking about it, and I think also, you know, what added to it, fortunately, unfortunately, is a lot of celebrities came forward and said, you know, I, I'm struggling with sex addiction. And that sort of makes it a mainstream issue then. So more people then, you know, are able to say, well, that's what I'm suffering from, too, without as much shame and stigma. 
We're speaking with Sandra Lax. She joins Dr. Lori every month for a monthly feature on passion where we talk about sexuality and addiction. She is a sex addiction specialist. And if you do want to speak with her, you can connect with her at sandralax.com. We are talking about sexuality uh, and basically sex addiction in the world of dating apps. And it's kind of like geared, <laughs> the conversation has geared towards that. And then we s- spoke about sex anorexia, we have a texter who asked, what about individuals who abstain from sex for religious reasons? We're going to get to that question. And Sandra, if you visit her website, sandralax.com, she has an amazing blog section where she talks about different issues relating to this topic. And she has a blog post called Illuminating the Darker Sides of Sex in the Me Too Era, which I found fascinating. And, you know, it, it, portrayed the issues in in different ways and in ways that I hadn't heard of before. And I'm sure it's going to be enlightening for all of us to hear her explain her take on it. So that's coming up next. Straight talk that's all inclusive. Passion with Dr. Lori. News Talk Radio. CJAD 800. Sitting in tonight is Paris Mansouri. Welcome back to the program. My name is Paris. I'm sitting in for Dr. Lori. She's away on vacation. And the date I was looking for earlier, by the way, is December 17th. That's when Dr. Lori is going to be back. She's currently on vacation. And I have the privilege of sitting in. And tonight joining me is Sandra Lax. She is a a therapist who specializes in addiction and sexuality. We've been discussing that all hour and we have a texter who wants to know about individuals who abstain from sex for religious reasons and beliefs. Would they equally be considered anorexic in such regards? No, I mean that, you know, it's, it's really, you know, the anorexia diagnosis comes in when it becomes a problem in someone's life. And so if the person is following their religious beliefs, and they're, you know, connecting with their values. That's completely separate from dysfunctional behavior. Okay, so Sandra, I have to say, in preparing for the show and getting to know your work a little bit better, I went on your website and I read a few of your blog posts, which are amazing. I honestly suggest anyone who is curious about this topic, who wants to learn more, head to sandralax.com. At the top of the page, you're going to see blog. Click on that. And right now we're going to discuss one of your blog posts. It's called Illuminating the Darker Sides of Sex in the Me Too Era. And basically, I'm going to read you... I want your take on it because as I'm as I'm reading through it and I, and understanding this topic a little bit better, I, I, I basically it hadn't been broken down the way you had broken down. So you said it is important that we dis- distinguish between four populations as we unpack and reorganize during the Me Too movement: the sex addict, sexual predator, sexual abuse survivor, and the betrayed partner. And I had never seen these four categories be grouped together. Can you share with, you know, your experience and and why you have gained this perspective? Yeah, thanks, Harris. It meant a lot. It took me two months to really write this piece um, because I think so often we want to segregate these, you know, people who, you know, the four populations you've talked about, which is the sex addict, the sexual offender, the, you know, sexual abuse survivor, and, um, and the betrayed spouse or partner. And, you know, I have worked with all four populations and there is a common thread that I saw running through, you know, all four, pe- all four categories um, of people, which is, you know, the, the unaddressed, 
unprocessed interpersonal trauma that they have experienced. So, you know, we often want to separate sex offenders. And let me get really clear on that. That is, Those are people who commit crimes related to sex. So sexual harassment, um, rape, uh, uh, you know, any type of um, criminal sexual behavior. So, you know, when, when the Harvey Weinstein story broke, people were wanting to say he was a sex addict. That is very clear that he is not. That is not sex addiction. That is sexual. That's a sexual perpetrator. Um, and so, uh, and because he, you know, mostly because he was violating people without their consent, you know, sex addicts in large part, you know, there, there is consent typically within, you know, within people's acting out that they, you know, and that could be argued, but within the scope of tonight, I don't think we can go there. Um, and so um, whether I'm working with the offender or, or someone who's struggling with an addict, um, you know, there is a large portion of that population who has suffered particularly childhood trauma. So in the, in the sexual perpetrator population, 40 to 80% of um, juvenile uh, sex, sex perpetrators have been victimized themselves. Um, and so that's a large majority of people who are, you know, perpetrating other people. In the sex addiction population, um, as high as 93% have been uh, have suffered from abuse in their childhood, um, primarily neglect. That's the highest form of abuse. Um, but then, you know, close closely uh, related is about 81 percent and seventy two percent. I think I have my figures correct. It could be off by a percent or two. Um, have experienced either physical abuse or sexual abuse. And within the, you know, within the um, betrayed spouses population, obviously they, you know, they've experienced trauma and, and, you know, in a large part, many have experienced trauma in their childhoods. And then people who have been, you know, sexual uh, abuse survivors, the, the same, you know, the same issues. And so uh, the reason the piece came to me is because, you know, uh, we are so often wanting to segregate these populations. And if we do that, we miss that you know, there's a common thread that runs through the, the, all these four categories. And, uh, and if, unless we address the trauma, we don't, you know, we don't allow for the connection and healing that needs to happen, um, you know, within, within the, the, the categories. So um, thanks for bringing that up because it was a, you know, it was really a, a meaningful piece for me. And I hope shed some light on, you know, that we are much more the same rather than different. And, you know, we experience pain the same. We experience violation the same. We experience, you know, dysfunctional childhoods, you know, in a lot of the same ways. And if we miss that, we miss the opportunity for healing that can come out of the Me Too movement. And one thing I definitely wanted to add in, I mean, Sandra just explained it, but I really wanted to read this portion because it really struck me. Again, it's from sandralax.com. If you go to the blog post, Illuminating the Darker Sides of Sex in the Me Too Era, it says, and I'm quoting this, it's Sandra's words, it says, What has struck me in working with sexual abuse survivors and the partners of sex addicts is the shared experience of post-traumatic stress disorder. These symptoms can include shock, anger, fear, hypersensitivity, decreased self-esteem, shame, suicidal thoughts, difficulty with intimacy and sex, social withdrawal, sleep 
sleep disturbances, nightmares, and flashbacks. While we circle over this conversation, we need to continue to destigmatize psychological issues so we can distinguish between them. It's an extremely important conversation. And Sandra, I'm so grateful that you joined us tonight. You guys can connect with her at sandralax.com. And Sandra, you have an event coming up with Dr. Lori. I do. I'm super excited. So it's an event in Toronto, and we're serving the sex addiction population and the betrayed spouses and partners. And uh, I'm doing a workshop with my colleague, Justin Inoue, who's a fantastic certified sex addiction therapist as well, specializing in working with people struggling with the addiction. And we're, we're bringing in Dr. Lori to talk about the sexuality piece. So the workshop is called Healthy Sexuality and Evolved Couples. You know, in, in this field, it, you know, it happens where... We um, pathologize, uh, you know, where we treat pathology a lot. And, and my goal as a therapist is not just to support people in learning how to survive life and, and deal with uncomfortable emotions and being able to process past traumas, but really to thrive in life. And if we don't, you know, find our way to a healthy, fulfilling, exciting, passionate sex life, then we're not getting our full, you know, our full experience of life that's possible. So um, it's on January 20th. It's in Toronto in the downtown core um, from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. And you can find more information online at sandralax.com. And, you know, I've put about a year's work of worth, uh, sorry, a year's worth of work into this, uh, into this workshop. And so we're really excited to share it with everyone. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. That was Sandra Lacks. She, uh, it's been honestly really wonderful having her with us and you can connect with her at sandralax.com. That is it for me. I want to thank everyone who texted tonight, took part in the conversation and for tuning in. I want to thank Dave Maroney for getting this show to air. It's been lovely. You've been listening to Passion. You can connect with me at Paris Mansouri on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I have the night off tomorrow night, but I'm back with you on Monday night for the Millennial Panel. And in case you're just, you know, joining us at the tail end, Dr. Lori's going to be back on December 17th. Thank you so much for tuning in. We're going to speak to you again on Monday night. Stay tuned for the news. Have a great rest of the evening and remember to fill your life with passion.